Hello, good people, and welcome to the Brunswick Beer Collective. And this is this is a rather special episode. So, uh, I'm Chris Shorten. With me is Paul Christoph. Good evening. And um, Jeff is away at the moment, but instead we have so I'm better sp- than Jeff. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> we have a very special guest, someone who, well, he's uh, from Hawaii, but he made what they call a space beer. If there's such a thing as a space beer. Um, Steve, hello. Hey, thank you. Appreciate your time today. But thank you for coming. Yeah. Or thank you for letting us take over your time here. <laughs> um, so I guess the uh, obvious question, um, can you tell people what uh, what on earth you um, have created oh, in your yeah. interplanetary ale? And for the interplanetary ale yeah. specifically? Um, yeah, so, well, first, we called it an interplanetary ale because the yeast and bacteria that we brewed it with was captured at around 70 to 100,000 feet. And so obviously the limit of Earth is around 30,000 feet for Everest, roughly, slightly less than that. So this was the first yeast and bacteria that had been captured from the stratosphere and with the intent to make a beer with. So that's what we call an interplanetary ale. It's just, we didn't, its flavors don't really fit within traditional flavors of, you know, whether it's an IPA or whether it's a stout, you know, those are kind of narrow categories. And the yeast strain doesn't represent other yeast strains in the same flavors as other ones. It's not Belgian-y. It's not clean. It's it's just a little bit mix of everything. So there's no category to fit in. So we kind of made our own for it. <laughs> that was ultimately what we decided to, to do. It's just there's nothing else it could be. It had to be its own. I have so many questions about this. But Love first, it. yes. Let, let's roll it back. So you are the CEO and you're the brewmaster, not the head brewer or the brewmaster? I'm the brewman. I'm also the plumber, I'm the electrician. Uh, I pay the bills. I get the mail. I sweep the floor. Um, and how do I? Lanikai. 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 I knew I'd screw that up. That's okay. I was rehearsing in my head, and it was like, I know that's going to be wrong. I know that's going to be wrong. Yeah. But um, so is this? What do you guys do normally when you're not making space? <laughs> so um, I guess maybe to even take a step step back from that. When I was first looking at opening a brewery, one thing that I love about traveling the world is you get the local food and the local beer. And I love tasting the local alcohols and the local foods together. You know, they have a long history of being together. And in the landscape in Hawaii, when we were first starting, there were people that were making great beer in Hawaii. But to me, making an IPA in Hawaii doesn't make it a Hawaiian IPA. It, didn't, it doesn't tie it to the land. It doesn't tie it to time and place. So I sought out to create authentic Hawaiian ales. So things that did represent time and place in Hawaii. And to the best way to do that, initially we started with just using local ingredients. So we're, you know, being in Hawaii, we have just all 11 of the world's 13 ecosystems. So we have an insane amount of things that grow there that are really unique. Everything from the common things like pineapple and coconut to the obscure, like a Buddha's hand or a weird flower. Or wait, 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 what, what is a Buddha's hand? The Buddha's hand is a form of a citrus. Um, it looks like a hand with fingers sticking out. Um, it's the color of a lemon, and the flesh on the inside is is pretty clean. It, it tastes like a lemon drop candy, the skin of a lemon drop candy. Wow. So that's an example of one. Another one is like a tea root. So it's a plant that is endemic to Hawaii, and you actually get the root of it and break down the starches and then convert those into sugars and it contributes like earth flavors to beer. So our goals were really to create things that were authentic 
in a way. So we initially started with just, okay, what ingredients can, can we go find, right? So we had always been um, sourcing that thing first. So whether that's the flour, so then we take the flour and go take it to chefs and cook with it. And then we'd figure out what foods it went with. And then by default, you can figure out which beer styles go with that. And then you can kind of draw a linear line and say, well, it's logical to say that if this flour cooks with this food, this beer goes with that food, so then therefore this flour should be able to be, this would be a great beer to work with this flour. So we started that, and that was kind of our initial foray into it. And then ultimately, over the last number of years, that's led us into Hawaiian wild ales. So capturing native yeast and bacteria and brewing with that from all over the state. So kind of every year or every couple of years, we kind of dig into another layer deeper of what it is. So, you know, the ingredients that we get are either really small farmers. Uh, we have a team of harvesters. Uh, I forage for about 30% of them and go pick them out of the woods. So there's a, there's a variety of different ways that we're going to get them um, to get these particular things. And they change every year, like terroir and wine. Um, so, you know, this year's mango season might be a little bit sweeter than next year's. And so any beer that we make with mango might be overly sweet or dry, depending on what it is. So we just kind of allow the growing seasons within the state to ref be reflected into the products that we create. So, so that, that's ultimately what the brand is about. So you won't try to tweak the beer and say, oh, the fruit, the mango's a bit sweeter, so we'll change the amount of mango we'll use. You'd rather be like, oh, we want this year's beer to be sweeter because it reflects what the harvest is this year. Yeah, yeah, so we embrace the, yep. the changing seasons, and ultimately if somebody's had our you know, tw 2017 whatever mango beer and then they had the 2018 and they could taste a difference, then they have a really refined palate. And you know, they spend time in there and, and, also, and they bought two of our beers. You know? well, <laughs> so. well, and, and I guess it's like, I mean, I always, I'm always a big fan of like, um, uh, like musicians who, ch who change with their environment, who so just sort of like, you know, depending on what's going on in the public, that's how, that's how what their music reflects. Yeah. And I, th I do feel like it's an odd sort of, it's a nice little parallel when you think about um, a beer, is beer is built for a time and place. Right. Um, for a season. And, you know, that um, if people get stuck to, you know, like, get too, I suppose, obsessed with what the original one tastes like, then they miss out on another good stuff. Totally. Be next. Totally. And, you know, and not to diss brewers that choose to make clean pale ales and want to have consistency. I mean, ultimately, not every beer in your life that you drink, sometimes you don't want to analyze it. Sometimes you just want to have a beer with a friend. You don't want to think about that beer. That beer is just something that brings you together. So, I mean, I appreciate all those styles of people that make the very consistency, and that's an art form in itself. Um, just not what we do. Not, not what our goals are. Yeah. But, um, so, prior to the... I guess prior to the whole, um, you know, space, spaceness, because um, I'll get back to that in a second, but what was the, what was the most complicated beer that you had got to prior to that point? Um, so there's, um, we were asked to make a historic ale. So um, historic ales, basically it was made out of, so there was a, even a step back farther, there was a canoe in Hawaii called the Hokulea, and it was the canoe that brought Polynesia to Hawaii, right? So in ancient Polynesia, this is the sailing canoes that they had that discovered Hawaii. So those were, that canoe was remade in the 70s. And a few years ago, they were doing a worldwide journey to take it around the world and bring it back to Hawaii. So for the return of that, um, they asked us to make a beer for it. And so it was a historic beer making ingredients that were found when the first Polynesians settled Hawaii between zero and 400 AD. 
So only what was available either in the canoes that they brought with them or on the land when they got here. And so I think that was, prior to that, was my most complicated year. Um, probably still sits up there as one of the more complicated ones. I mean, like, you know, with the, with the space, like, I didn't fly the plane in space. Like, you know, so I didn't, it was, it was simpler. It was more mentally complicated than actually figuring out how to do it. Yeah. Well, the idea for the space one, was that literally just the two guys that went for NASA that were in the bar and you just got talking and were like, hey, wouldn't that be a cool idea? Uh, yeah, it was, it was almost that casual, you know, I, you know when, you, when you share beer with people, you share an experience, right? And just like this, you never know where this conversation will end up. And you're open to where things can go, or you know, you learn, ask questions, you learn about somebody, and you're like, hey, I have family from that area. Or, oh, cool, you're in NASA, I love space, or whatever it is. So, I mean, to keep that portion of the story, you know, curtailed, um, I was introduced to some, some NASA people that ultimately told them, you know, it's like, I want to be the first brewer on Mars. Just trying to tell a joke. I need to brew with space yeasts. And they were, they did, you know, they were kind of deadpan. They didn't really get the joke. And they, then ultimately, you know, moments, that weird, uncomfortable silence a few moments later passed. And they were like, no, you're right. We're not going to shuttle yeast up to Mars for you to make beer. Like, it just took the conversation in a way that, I mean, that's where they work, right? They work in places that we dream of being. And so that's, it, it stemmed out of that conversation. And then ultimately, ultimately NASA scientists and beer is beer making science. And so we had a common love of it, and we just, at the end of the night of drinking, we just decided, let's go for it. It's probably not gonna work, but who cares? Let's go for it. And that's, I kind of started that process. Did, did they, because obviously, okay, so these two fellas are sitting, they're sitting in your bar. Yeah, there's uh, four. Okay, yeah. these four fellas are sitting in your four bar. Four astronauts sitting in the bar. <laughs> Firstly, what, were they on holiday? Were they just, is there a NASA base there? Or? No, they, um, a couple of years ago in Hawaii, we had a massive eruption that started taking out towns. Oh. So they were there mainly at that time to map the eruption. And then they were also doing some coral reef studies, looking at declining coral reef and you know, global warming and other things like that. So they were there anyway. And um, one of their former colleagues um, I had met um, a while back, and I had talked to him about this project and was like, oh, it's why not? Let's try it. And he didn't. We didn't know each other well enough that he knew that I was serious. You know, he's kind of like you, silly brewer. And I'm like, okay. And then you know, he had retired, and a few years later, he had messaged me and said, "Hey, a bunch of a bunch of colleagues are going to be in your bar. You want to meet them? I told them about your project. They think it's cool." I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> on the way. I'll be there immediately." So I remember reading about those the Ninkasi thing a few years prior. Yeah, and they brought for that. That was just bringing geek, like, earth yeast up. Yeah, so, so Jamie, the owner of Minkasi, yeah. basically, it's it pretty funny, we were at a beer festival in Hawaii, he and I were, and we were both talking about our different space beers. And then <laughs> a couple homebrewers and a reporter were kind of just standing around us, and they are like, are you guys talking about making beer? And Jamie and I just look at each other and kind of laugh. Like, this is really weird. Like, that was the first time that we realized that this was a really unique thing. It's like the world's smallest club. Yeah, it's really weird. So, yeah, what they did is they, they took uh, one of their house yeast strains and put it into a rocket and then took it up into space and just exposed it to its environmental conditions. It wasn't open to space. It was just under pressure within the rocket. And, you know, he has a great story about that, too. It came back down, and then they lost it in the Nevada desert, and they couldn't find the rocket. And obviously, it cooked the yeast, it killed it all. So then he had to get another rocket 
and did this experiment a second time, and ultimately it worked. And their beer, I believe, was called Ground Control. It was a great beer. So they just brought it back down and then brewed with it. It was a very cool beer. And of course, you know the sta the standard um, thing goes. You know, uh, you you, lo uh, you uh, lost one rocket. Let's just find another. Let's just find another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know it's America, so you can buy rockets, right? You can buy all this weird stuff. So we're like, yeah, I'll just buy another rocket. Uh, look, I'm sure we could build one in Australia from like you know um, pieces of like, pieces of stuff from Radio Shack or the equivalent. Yeah. Um, but God, okay, okay. So let's let's wheel it back. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, for those at home, and for me, kind of, because I have no science background whatsoever, how the heck do you get um, space yeast? Um, do you want the, the science version or the dumbed-down version? Half and half. Okay. So, our, our audience is very highbrow. Yes. <laughs> um, we know nothing. Um, in the nicest possible way. Well, I'd say, that, I'd say the first thing you need to get space, space yeast is a rocket. It's number one. Um, you know, NASA is very helpful to have. They were very, very helpful to have friends within NASA too. And then ultimately, you know, the the likelihood of success of that happening was really, really low. So it was just, you know, just knowing that it was okay that we didn't succeed if that ultimately happened. Um, so I think those are the key components of what you need to do what we what we did, and um, those things that ultimately worked out. Because you had one strain that was not. So that, there was something wrong with the strain of yeast, that, or was it just that it wasn't suited to beer? Yeah, so maybe now I'll kind of put on the science hat for a second. And if I'm going too deep, let me know. I'm a former scientist, so I can. I don't want to take it too far. But with, you know, so the first question is, is why do you make the assumption that there is yeast and bacteria in space? Why you want to brew with it, that's obviously an easy one, because I want to brew with everything. Hmm. And so why would you make the assumption that it exists? And where would it exist in space? And then how would you capture it? So the first thing you have to realize is obviously there are yeast and bacteria is everywhere, right? It's on your skin. We can make it. You've seen people make beer, uh, beers out of their beards and off of skin. Um, what, we had someone make one from um, Belly Button Lint. There you go. Um, it, it, got, it got a lot of uh, press coverage. It, had a whole TV special in Japan, apparently. Yep. Sure. So it exists everywhere, right? Mm. So then you ask yourself, where does it exist? Well, it, it exists on something as a medium. So something is hosting it or carrying it. So within, we wanted to make sure that we were capturing above Earth. So above Everstein. And, and up there, what's up there, right? It's just space. And space has less pressure than Earth. So ultimately, anything that lives up there lives farther apart. It's, it's less density of pressure. So, okay, so that means you have to fly a longer distance to catch things. So we needed a long flight. The next thing you have to think about is, okay, well, where would it live within space? And if you quickly put on like your astrophysicist hat for a quick second. As you do, of course. As you do. I'm just letting um, out of my backpack. Yeah, you, yeah <laughs> I'll put them on. <laughs> I left mine at home. <laughs> so the next place, like within space, there's microcosms. And a microcosm is basically a weather pattern of some type. And some are dust storms, some are like moisture-based, you know, there's everything that's up there. So within those areas are where we made the assumption that they were. They're living on dust particles, they're, they're within a water substrate, something like that. So ultimately this, this um, ship flew at 453 knots for around eight and a half hours at 70 to 100,000 feet through tons of different microcosms over Hawaii and then ultimately landing in California. So within that, we had uh, multiple samples that were in there. So the next thing is, how do you create scientific integrity in this? Right? Since it does exist everywhere, 
how do you know that what we captured didn't just come from the astronaut? Right. So you, we had to analyze what they wear. So they wear a full spacesuit. So that handles everything from you know, NEP or anything that they have that needs to come out. It's a pressurized system because if they need something's wrong with their ship, they actually can like skydive out from there. And so they have to have temperature controlled, body controlled. So it controls all biologicals from that individual that's there. So, okay, so we can isolate the person. So, but that plane had spent time on Earth. So how do you isolate what's in the cockpit? So kind of like when you're on a road trip, you know, if you have a smell you don't like, you open the windows, right? So we essentially were able to, we being they, kind of flush the plane of all of that between 30,000 feet up to around 70,000 feet. And, and then our samples were then opened at 70,000 feet. So that's kind of how we tried to eliminate all the particular factors that came in. And then after the collection period, as uh, he was descending back down to 30,000 feet, he sealed the samples above Earth. So now they're sealed, landed, and then they were sent to a yeast lab. That was ultimately what it was. So I never got them back. They were sent to a professional yeast lab in Maine. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts to this project. But did, uh, did you have the um, uh, uh, come from a science background? Were you able to say, right, this is what you guys need to do, or did you just sort of say, here is the here, here is what you need to, uh, here um, here is what I need astronauts to make it happen for me? Um, well, first of all, I'm infatuated with everything space, and I, there's no way I would know enough about these. You know every detail of these planes. I don't. I don't work for them. I don't. This isn't. That's not my job, right? So, we just basically had to sit down, having a few beers, and just just say, okay, well, what do I want to get as the brewer? What do my samples look like? What are all these things? And then, what are the mechanics of the craft? And so we just kind of shared what those were, and then ultimately just kind of built off each other. Okay, great. Well, we can do this, or let's do the samples at this feet, and let's fly from here. And so by just kind of sharing, information sharing, we were able to just devise a plan. Yeah. yeah. Was this flight just for you, uh, just for the yeast or was other things as well? No, no, it wasn't for us. There's no tax dollars used, nothing. <laughs> when, they're, when they're doing studies, coral reef studies and other things, they can do carry-along things if they can fit within there. Um, and so ultimately this was just a carry-along study. And that, that was it. it very, what's really interesting is the cockpits are extraordinarily small, and these guys can't even take their clothes with them, they have to ship them. So there's very few projects that they can do as a carry-on. You know? And this was one that just, everything just fit. It was just, you know, it was like serendipity. And it just worked. And, you know, that's a lot of luck. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so then the, you know, so it lands, and they sent it off to the lab. And as you mentioned, we had two samples. One was moldy, so it was done right away. The other one had a mixed population of yeast and bacteria and whatever else was in there. And they started, the lab started going through testing processes on it and, you know, plating it and things you do for yeast. Um, and most of the things in there didn't survive coming back to Earth because they're designed to live at very cold temperatures. That's, that's their home. Heating it up to Earth just kills them. Um, the, the items that we did capture that were in there we didn't, we couldn't identify. So we had to send them into DNA sequencing and it failed. So, so you know, part of, part of this agreement is if this works, I'm launching this for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, right? Which was in July. That was kind of, so there was a little pressure. <laughs> but there's also pressure to be ethical. If you don't know what it is, 
and you brew with it, you don't want to harm anybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's ultimately it's got mutant swords. Exactly. Exactly. It's I've, how the aliens took a takeover. Yeah, I've seen enough yeah, Marvel yeah. films to know that this is a this is a serious thing. Yeah, it's it's legit. You got to think about that, right? I mean. You oh. wouldn't actually, I mean, you could think about it and laugh, but in our case, we actually had to think about that. Yeah, they're not, they're at the alien. Yeah, and then ultimately, just because you capture some sort of organism, it doesn't mean it can do the things that beer needs it to do. Number one, ferment sugars, produce alcohol, and then number two, create flavor. Because if it tasted terrible, it doesn't matter. You still failed the project. I'm, I'm like spice, spice sourdough. Spice yeah. kombucha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How could you be certain that it isn't some sort of alien organism um, in well, certain Marvel films? Organism. I know, I know, but that would be harmful. It was, wasn't harmful. Yeah. So, what we Take one for the we, we weren't <laughs> through the sequencing process, we were able to identify a lot of characters from it. And I think the best explanation in the simplistic form of this is when you don't know where to put stuff, you just put it in your kitchen drawer, right? So. There's a category of yeast that's basically the kitchen drawer category that has all these different characteristics. You know, Belgian yeast are going to produce the florals, right? So you know that, you know, the IPA yeast are clean. You know the characteristics of it. This particular yeast category where it ultimately fell in, it still wasn't enough to say with a high level of certainty what it was going to do. So for us to be able to, it was still unidentified at the time. And so for us to be able to ethically brew with it, what we had to do is identify part of its lineage. So it's, it's grandparent strain and children's strain, and then draw a logical line between those saying, okay, these are the parameters of what is most likely to happen, and then brew with it. And so that's how that came about. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of science, there was a lot of assumption, but ultimately, it, just like anything else in life, it's luck. <laughs> there was an insane amount of luck. Dude, it's utterly fascinating. Yeah, what it is. Um, yeah. And when I spoke with, you know, when I spoke with NASA and stuff, when we got through that first stage, I was like, and I called them and I was like, dude, I, I don't think we're gonna be able to hit the, the launch date for the for the beer launch. And I said, like, we don't know what it is. And they said, well, we know what it is. We we would call it a UFO. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I kind of laughed at that. And then a second la a second later, he calls me back. and said, you should call it an unidentified fermenting object. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's perfect. perfect. Yes. Like, how could it be a better name? It's perfect. So the beer is UFO, Unidentifying Fermenting Object, and the beer style is an interplanetary ale. And that's that's what we landed on. Yeah. And, and we did hit the 50th anniversary of the, of the moon landing. So we hit that day. So, again, a lot of luck. It yeah. all worked out. Is there a sample being kept alive, or is it... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's very strange. Um, within this kitchen drawer category, to keep it simple again, a lot of the characteristics of the majority of the things that fit in there, like acids. So they like things from hops. Hops have alpha acids and beta acids that you know have flavors and terpenes and stuff. So we used aged hops that we had aging in our brewery for a few years just to create acid profile. And then when, he, when we tasted it a few days in, you know, you had mentioned earlier the sourdough starter. It's exactly what it tasted like. But when the beer finished, there was no yeast or grainy flavors whatsoever. It was um, funk, not unlike a Belgian, because they're very small bacteria and yeast. And then there was a, just a hint of sourness, but that sourness didn't come from souring agents. It came from the acids being converted into funk and sour. So Lauren would like it. Yeah. My wife, whenever she tries any beer, the first thing she says is, tasty yeasty. Yeasty, yeah. It's like she hasn't had an interplanetary it would suck if that was her own, her, her one forte and then we had spent all of our time tracking data into planetary aisles. Yeah. 
So, yeah, and then so we, you know, we, after that, we were able to hit the launch, but we still didn't know if it could handle packaging conditions. So we've just finished the, it can handle packaging, which is great. So we're going to scale it up. So just, you know, about two weeks ago, we decided to brew with it again. About three weeks ago, we brewed with it again. And this time we've made more of a Saison style of a beer. And then instead of using uh, acids from hops, we put some uh, lime zest in there. You got citric acid. And the weird, it's, it's insane. Every keg that we put on draft tastes different. <laughs> and they're all in our cold storage. You know, they all finish. There's no more sugars to ferment. There's no reason flavor should be changing. But this stuff can live below freezing temperatures. And our cold room is obviously above freezing, right? It's slightly above it. So every few days, every keg we're tapping is, is changing slightly into a new flavor because it's still actively working at these cold temperatures. since It's nuts. I feel it's like we are within a Marvel film really right now. Really useful yeah. data that you Yeah, so we're, yeah. I mean, we, we know very little about it. We've experimented it two times now. So we have, a, you know, we have a lot to learn. And ultimately, once we get a little bit more confidence level in it, then my goals are to go take this and share it with brewers, mm. you know, brewers that are friends or people that want to experiment and just be like, let's make something fun that's different that, you know, is edge spice beer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we, we may or may not have talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I definitely think they would be up for that. Yeah, I don't have conversations with Michelle about it too now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, especially after a couple a couple bottle shares. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I know how they play out. So, one, uh, one last question on that. How do you go about, how did you decide what the use would turn, what beer the use would turn into? We, for the initial beer, the first one, the UFO IPA, um, we didn't. We had no clue. We had never tasted it. So we made a pretty simple grain bill, and we decided we, more of a Belgian style, so about 50% Pilsen and about 50% wheat. Really simple, get some dextrins in there, uh, get some simple malts in there, just kind of throw a little bit of everything in there. And we didn't know what it was going to taste like, because it's never been brewed before. Yeah. You know, if you were to brew an IPA with a Belgian yeast strain, you're gonna get a Belgian IPA. It doesn't not gonna taste the same as a clean IPA or hazy or whatever. So we we ultimately didn't know. We took a guess, and you know, we brewed a saison. We took a guess at that. So we're just guessing right now. We're just brewing and playing with it. What do you think you're gonna brew next? With it? Yeah. I don't know. We got to get to these kegs <laughs> and see what it's doing. But we know the one thing we do know is in the presence of different styles of acids, it behaves differently. Okay. So we don't produce alcohol, we don't produce flavor. So we'll probably look at doing maybe like a really clean style of like maybe like a lager base and see what happens in there without acids yeah. and see what we get out of that and how it behaves. And we're just going to keep playing with it because there's just, there's just no, there's no roadmap for this. So it's more receptive to acid than usual yeast? Um, that's what we're finding so far. Yeah. But I mean, we only have a sample trial of two, yeah. so it's you know you know you get a lot of scientific process out of that. And obviously, it survived the. Did you have to cold store to bring it out here? To, uh, to ship it out here? Yeah. Oh, the beer mm. itself? Um, no, I brought it, I brought them on the plane. The bottles I brought, I just brought them on the plane. Brought them with me. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I've survived bottling, so that we we know. We brought many a beer back from the yeah, States over yeah. the years. So the ones that we brought out are just to share at events like tonight yeah. and the one in Brisbane that we're going to have. And then ultimately, now that we're confident in packaging of that original beer, that we're going to release that beer into the markets. But in all of our markets, we just we didn't have enough confidence and I wasn't ready to take that risk. 
Fair enough. Yeah. So as uh, a, as a as a brewer, what do you drink? What do I drink? Yeah. Um, you know, well, I'm currently drinking a local stout here. You know, I, I I wanted to try to taste my way through your country. And we talked you into drinking the Sludge Beast from Little Bang in Adelaide. And by talking in, it took you what half a second? Uh, I I would say a quarter of a second. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's sold. <laughs> Um, for me, my favorite—I I love all beer styles—but my favorite beer is the ones that I'm sharing with people, because to me, it's bringing people together and just sharing a moment, and that's a vehicle to do that. Um, sometimes I want to have my brewer hat on or my science hat around, sit around and analyze a beer, and analyze it to death, and mm-hmm. try to figure out how they made it or what they did or what what's in there. And other times, I just want like a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Like I don't want to think about it. Yep. I just want to just have a beer and just yeah. process something or have a moment with a friend or whatever, you know, where, you know, the beer still brings you together, but it's, you know, you can be as snobby as you want about it. But, you know, in my in my personal cellar is a mix of all sorts of beers of anything from, you know, I love lagers, I love pilsners, I love, as brewers, we drink a lot, so it's really great to have really clean beers sitting around that you can just, you know, have a few for meetings and things like that. But then, you know, I have just delicate sours and things from all over as well. So really everywhere. I'm, I'm across the spectrum. Yeah, well it's like when you're going for a Friday knockoff drinks after work mm-hmm. with your non-craft beer drinking cards. Right. You're not there for the, you know, you're, you're the craft beer. You're there, you know, you're you get whatever the, you know, just the lager that everyone else is getting. Yeah, and, and the beer friends together. Yeah. Having a good time. Yeah. And then, you know, depending on the meal as well, like I'm going to a fancy place or going to a lot, of, a lot of friends are chefs, so if I'm going to have a meal with them, then we'll talk together about what might be the best pairing with, yeah. and then I'll try to bring something that you know, highlights, you know, that doesn't compete with the food, supports the food. Yeah. Um, and what have you, other than the Sludge Beast, um, have you discovered any Australian beers that you want to keep drinking? Yeah, I've been going through the gamut. I've been going pretty hard out here, I have to say. So, I, you know, a lot of them that I remember and some of them I don't remember as well. as others, It's been great. I, I've seen a great diversity of it. You know, I've, um, I've been drinking Edge beers a lot since I've been in Melbourne. Obviously. What a surprise. Yeah, big surprise. They, um, they were nice enough to share with me a release that they haven't put out yet. And so that was great. We went for one, the Sorbet. Yeah, we went for I really want to try the Sorbet. It was rad. We went for an 8 km run. Like like a brewer's run, we ran, had a beer, and then kept running. And then after <laughs> that, the, that one was your idea. And after that, Facebook? perhaps. <laughs> and then after that, you know that that, that tangy sour just hit the spot. Yeah, it was it was, it was awesome. Very yeah. nice. So, um, what can uh, so at the moment, Paul and I are drinking the uh, Akole Maluna. Yeah, perfect. So should we do our usual thing? I, I think we can should. We so one one of the things we do on on this show is. We um, usually subject brewers to hearing untapped comments of their own beers. Love it. Um, so if you're intro- if if you're up for that, we're up for. I'm talking about. That. I'm I'm fine. Yep, ready. Um, although I really want to find out <laughs> what people say about the space the spaciest beer. Okay. Yep. Um, but well, the fun is always find the people that hate the beers because they their comments are usually like just out of context and a bit you know, shit. A funny thing that like a lot of pro brewers look at it as untapped is like. One thing I want to see is what the pros say and what the bros say. Yeah. Yes, because oh, that's a very good take. If if you allowed brewers to judge the beers, brewers are gonna you're gonna see the rise of pilsners and lagers. Mm-hmm. And like, yep. Just you know, sessionable beers that you can have versus 
some sort of one-off esoteric super trendy whatever that's coming out so i've always wanted to see that dichotomy of of you know what the bros mm-hmm. say and what the pros say i mean the challenge is trying to divide those um yeah like work out which is which well, i was looking at the reviews for our pumpkin beer <laughs> oh right before, and actually pretty good like it's ranking really good but then yeah there was some guy who just like ranked it really low because he just tried something you didn't like the style it's like well that's a problem with you not the beer that's right <laughs> Or, you know, you always get the comments. At least with the comments. I hate sours. It was sour. Yeah, I hate oh, you know, yeah. whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah you know, but, yeah. you know, you got to have tough skin. What was the business. one we saw once where literally we saw two comments and both the, critici- both the criticism in the top comment was a complete opposite criticism of the other one? Oh, like, yeah. It cannot be these two things. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so this is ranking at 4.07. So. so we are drinking the... Okole Maluna. Okole Maluna is what what you say in Hawaii it means cheers. Okole is bottom, and Maluna means towards the moon, so it's bottoms up. Oh, that is oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okole Maluna. That is awesome. I, I like the uh, description as well. It's very handy for people yeah. like us. <laughs> but um, ha- um, how did you describe this beer to us? How did I do what? How did you describe this beer to us? Um, well, our beers are focused on the ingredients that we can source. So I always start with the ingredients, and it uses the number one uh, grown cacao or chocolate in the world, which is grown in Hawaii. And so obviously there's a lot of chocolatey to it. Um, this beer is a, is a take on a, a dessert that we have in Hawaii called haupia. Haupia is like a creamy coconut. So, and there's a famous pie in Hawaii that is a chocolate creamy coconut pie, chocolate haupia pie. So the goal of this beer was to try to mimic those pie flavors. So it's a chocolate creamy coconut imperial stout. That's awesome. Um, Paul, what are people saying about it? Um, I'm, I'm just gonna check mine in there. Well, I can... Um, Making make advantage of the, since we last recorded, the uh, increments of 0.1. Oh yeah, see, I'm not, I'm not, I don't pay for untapped, so I don't get yeah, the that. Yeah, You have to pay to get the. Yeah. 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 Yikes. Um, Paul B uh, calls it a awesome pastry sound. Four stars. All right. Um, someone. Here we go. Uh, Don at Maison de Lune. A bit of bitter chocolate with not enough coconut. Good boozy finish though. Three point seven five. Um, Here's one for Jeff. Troy C. Late checking. Three point seven five. But, um, our, our colleague Jeff can't stand late chickens. Okay, um, yeah. Just because it's like, if you're not doing it in the moment, what's the point? Sure, sure. Dan P, it's somewhere far away from home. Assholes up, four stars. He <laughs> <laughs> purchased it at the brewery. I, mean, I guess that's one interpretation yeah. of a cole, you could call it. He <laughs> purchased it at the brewery. Yeah. Um, Brandon L says chocolate roast and a weird metallic taste. I'm not, I'm not hearing the metallic I'm not tasting no, the metallic taste. Uh, Peter B at Aston Waikiki Beach Hotel. First coffee, the cho- first coffee, then chocolate. I assume you meant to say. Finishes with a hint of coconut, tad hoppy. Definitely beat my ex- expectations. Four point seven five. It's always a nice. It's just a Don Quixote. What if that's the same Don Quixote that they have in Japan? You know what that is? It is. It's oh, the same cool. team. That's yeah. so good. That yeah, it's Don Quixote is the best. It's like a rummage sale store. It's fantastic. Yeah. Great fish. Um, um, so Aaron E, the White Stag Inn, um, definitely well brewed, and the adjuncts really shine. I would, def- <laughs> I would drink this again. Yeah, no adjuncts, but I hear you. 
I appreciate he, the comment. He meant well. Yeah, you know. He did. He did. Zachary E at Indian Lake. Barrels can go to, as you know he's an American. Barrels can go to heck. 4.75. I, th- I, th- I think you meant to say hell there. Um, um, oh, uh, Dan W at Dano's um, Beach House, H A U S, says, plan to age at ellipsis. It, it is it, it, it's screaming to be drank well, it definitely said I mean right there age as well it does and I appreciate that because sometimes you get a beer and you're like is this one I should age is it not sure there it is age as well alright maybe one more one more okay a lot of people don't write here we go Matt M hasn't said where he got it dry cacao taste was perfect for the stout 4.5 so, I guess the big question is, how do you rate your own beer? I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, I rate my experiences with where the beer... Yeah, I'll never put out a beer that I'm not proud of. You know, if it doesn't... You know, obviously, if you have a brewing error, you dump that thing down the drain. Mm-hmm. I mean, not all brewers do, because you're chasing the money, but we do. And if it just doesn't hit what we want it to hit, and we can't get it there... We, even if it's even if it's a clean beer and there's nothing wrong with it, it's just it's it. It's done. It's, thro- it's done for us. Like the uh, mushroom beer from a a brewery I won't mention. Oh yes. Me and a sometime contributor Ben had once. We went to a brewery and um, they had a new beer, but it was like the special beer, like you know, pints for um, half price pints. We're like, oh well, yeah, go try this, and it, it tasted like mushrooms. It was like this yes. Is, they should not be selling this. <laughs> well, I mean, in like a Degard, that would be a fantastic. Not a Degard brewery, but a Degard style beer. Yeah. Like mm. for aging, mushroom is a character. Of that. But it was not. Yeah. A... We also make a, a 18 month barrel aged version of the same beer that's in Heaven Hill barrels, and it gets gives dimensions of um, you know they're single use Heaven Hills, so you get a lot of bourbon character, a lot of toffee added into it. Um, I don't make it that often. It's great, another great beer. To I could imagine. So it's exact same beer, aged, yeah. re-aged, and you know, and we just renamed it something else. Now, big question is, can we get a sip of the space beer, or is that are we too early for that? It's it's here at it's here today, right now. It's in the cooler, and Michelle brought it over here. And whenever she's ready. You know, you know, when a woman has a plan, you say yes. So whatever her plan is, is I am. Well, why don't we take it? Um, take a quick pause and see if we can. Well, we haven't said what we. Oh, Brian, sorry, I got distracted. Um, and that's been a while since we recorded the last episode. <laughs> um, what do we think about this beer? I am gonna give it a four point four. Oh, show off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do that now. Mm. That's, your, that's your status symbol, huh? That yeah. You can do a point yeah. something. If, it, if I was uh, operating under, you know, traditional pleb uh, rules, I would give it a 4.5. But, um, yeah, I, I, re- I, mean, I really like it. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, that dry cacao that that comment mentioned, I think is exactly right. It tastes like, not like chocolate, it tastes like proper cacao nibs. That coconutty flavour, it's thick, what an imperial stout should be. It's really good. I mean, I'd love to try the barrel-aged version one day, but... Um, yeah, 4.4. This is really good. Yeah. I'm going with 4.25 um, because I can't get to 4.4. <laughs> um, it's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And it's, uh, you know, 10.4%, but I it, I think it hides its booze well. 
and it's really it's really smooth and really easy to drink. Good, thank you. Um, and no, obviously we, the company's all right. But, you know, <laughs> and by looking at the uh, label there, I guess we will be able to. Uh, um, yeah, Michelle and Adam are now distributing. Yeah, so this is down so. here. So this was the only clean ale that we sent down. And then we sent, um, about three years ago, we started a Hawaiian wild ale program. So it's mainly that we, what a lot of people don't realize about Hawaii like, is we have 11 of the world's 13 ecosystems. Mm. So right now, we had a blizzard last week. We have snow in Hawaii right now. Most people think about Hawaii, you think about the coasts, mm. the beaches, the bikinis, you know, whatever. But we, we have so many different areas, so I kind of started this Hawaiian Wild Ales program to go into the rainforest, and then I have a home on the volcano, and so I would go there during eruption and capture yeast and bacteria. And so, you know, we initially started with seeking local ingredients in our beer. Now we're adding another layer of fermentables of the yeast and bacteria. So we sent those down because those handle shipping conditions really well. Yeah, so those, a lot of, mostly our wild ales are down here right now. I can definitely appreciate the multiple ecosystems. In August, I did um, Kilimanjaro. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you literally go from, yeah, the jungle to alpine desert to, yep. yeah, yeah, sub-zero, well, yeah, freezing temperatures all in the space of a few days. And it's like, how is this the same yeah. <laughs> one mountain, let alone an entire ecosystem? Yeah, eco totally. yeah it's crazy. It is like an authentic version of what we all claim Melbourne to be, which is four seasons in one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. There's like you know hail, rain, sun, yeah, yeah. And like clouds all in the Fire. same day. Lucky you weren't here on the weekend. Oh god, terrible. yeah, yeah. And when you're in Sydney, did the uh, haze had the haze clear? Because I was there uh, on Friday. The first day that we were in there, yeah, we had a lot of haze, yeah. and then it felt like maybe winds came back and pushed the haze away. So my last day in Sydney was stunning. We got to it was really pretty, and you know, went to the coast and stuff. I think in the water it looked cold. I like warm water. Yeah, you need to go to, uh, you to go to Perth, my hometown. Yeah, okay, good. Indian Ocean. That's my, my next trip is nice to Perth. Nice and warm. Yeah. Okay, cool, good. So why don't we do a quick pause and see if we can actually get the space beer ready. Okay. Yeah. And we're back, and we don't have the space beer, but what we do have is something that Steve hasn't had before. Paul, what have we got? We have the La Serene Darabin Wild Ale. So it is a mixed fermentation wild ale that has been brewed using 100% locally grown Victorian malts, locally grown hops, and wild airborne yeast living within the brewery's walls. Ah, hence the Darabin, I guess. Darabin's a suburb. Is it... Pardon me, is it a suburb or a municipality? No, like a council like municipality. municipality. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, obviously, this is a very different colour to what we've just been drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, first impressions? Yeah, well, I mean, number one, when you just look at it, you know, we're, we're dealing with some beautiful glassware here at Beer Mash, so the clarity is, is just perfect, you know? It's like there's nothing floating in there, it's perfect. Nice on the nose, nice little citrus on the nose. You pick up a little funk from the native yeasts that are in there, you know, the native and local yeast and bacteria are often smaller, so they create aggressive flavor profiles. To me, this tastes like it, that that, that, that native yeast and bacteria went through a secondary fermentation because it's very complicated. It has a lot of deep notes to it. And then it seems like there might have been a little lactobacillus or pediococcus in there to get a little of that tart, sour note out of it. It's, it's lovely. And is it barrel aged? 
Um, oak age. Oak, oak, yeah, oak sure. age, spontaneous. Yeah, so I get a little bit of vanilla in there from the oak. Yeah, beautiful. Bottled in April this year. I, I, I'm always impressed because um, clearly this is from a. Uh, clearly you've got your science hat on, is the fact that you can pick up all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm always. Uh, I've not never got to the point where I can pick all this stuff up. But one day. Yeah. Um, what are people saying about it? Why not? Not that many check-ins, so it's helpful. Uh, Marie, see it. Tramp stop 121. <laughs> Lovely. The sour sticks around at the back of the mouth. She got that at Carwin. 4.6. Uh, Hoppy Pete at Carwin as well. Oh, this must have been Saturday night, maybe. Oh, no. 26th of October. Uh, four sours. It was at the Masterclass. The last time we were Masterclass. Oh. And, yeah. Um, All right. So I think we only have time for one more. Gus one Norris more. in Summers. Citrus tart, light brick character, 4.25. Well, if there was a what the pros said rating, I would give it a five. You'd give it a five? Yeah, wow. I love everything about it. I love the really clean flavor. I love that the small bubbles formed from bottle conditioning on it. I love the complexity, yet simple at the same time. So. It, when that when that feature comes up, hello and taps. Put that feature in here. <laughs> this is a five. <laughs> Look, uh, we haven't we did interview years ago the founder of Untapped. Okay. And we just fired endless questions about <laughs> customizations. Um, he didn't agree to any of them. Yeah. But he seemed he seemed interested. Okay. So we we can get in touch. We can probably do very little. I think it's great. If he doesn't do it, somebody's going to do that. It's yeah. true. Yeah. So it sounds like we need to finish up here. But what do we think about this beer? I am giving it a 4.2. I really like it. So I can't do 0.5s anymore. So I can't do a 4.25. So I'm giving it a 4.2. It's really good. Yeah, it's clean. It's, I can see it's going well with the dinner I'm having tonight, actually. Um, it's great I, I, I think it's I think it's a four for me. I think it's a really nice, well balanced beer. Good work, Glasserine. Excellent work. So, sorry, we're I, I'm cutting you off because we're out of time, and by out of time I mean that um, we're, uh, we've been told that you'll be stolen away. Supposed to be meeting with someone else two minutes ago. Oh, okay, okay. So, big question for you. You've conquered space. What are you going to do next? Um, Mars. I, I'm not, I, I haven't conquered space. I've, I've had the opportunity to be there. What's next? You know, I, I'm, I'm not a man that really has a divine plan, I think is the fairest way to say it. I just try to live the truest life and meet a bunch of people and travel and, and live the best life I can. So ultimately, all I really hope to do is share my beers and share them with people and be able to explain them in a way that honors them. And if they like them or don't, then that's great. But that's all I really want to do is share to me what represents an authentic wine beer. So that's what our goals are. That's pretty damn noble. I like it. I think we're going to have to come visit sometime. Yeah, podcast in Hawaii. Jetstar flights are cheap. It's true. They do it's those true. deals. It's actually more to go to Perth, I think, than it is to go to Honolulu. Yeah, my family's in Perth, yeah. so often I go back home and it's like, I could be going to Hawaii for this price. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'll put it on the list. Yep. So... Steve, thank you so much for um, chatting with us. Much appreciated. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, we have been the Brunswick Beer Collective. Uh, I've been Chris Shorten. With me has been Paul Christoph. See you next time. We'll talk to you in a few weeks, I think. Aloha.